This podcast may contain f***ing swears that from this point on will not be f***ing bleeped. Self-important middle class deluded straight white men leading on and on and on and on and on and on and on about inconsequential arty shite again. Hello, and welcome to Something Out of Nothing, a podcast exploring the nature of creativity. Attempting to discover what, if anything, creatives in different fields have in common. To do this, two friends with inquiring minds and a propensity to wang on at each other about creative stuff decided the best way would be to talk to other creatives and see if we can tease their secrets from them. He's Simon White, a writer and advertising type. And he is Neil Smith, an illustrator and graphic designer. I don't know, it's an incredibly photogenic landscape out here, Simon, isn't it? It's pretty, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We are in near what is officially uh, the Cranbourne Chase area of outstanding natural beauty. Wow, and you're the lord of this area, aren't That's you? That's correct, yes. You've sort of, uh, when you walk into the pub, People kind of... Uh, they, they generally tend to doff their caps. There's a lot of doffing. Yeah. Um, all of your wine and beer and food is free in the pub. That's right, yeah. It's like that. Lord of all you survey around these parts. Mm. That's not true, Neil, I'm afraid. I'm the, I'm yeah. the cap doffer. Yeah. Yeah. You're the doffer, not the doffy. <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. Where are we headed here? Are we going to go left? Left over, down this little pathway. Over the meadow. So, the conversation we have on our podcast this week felt like an absolute coup, didn't it? It did a bit, yeah. And I've got to doff my cap to you, Simon, because you simply asked uh, superb uh, photographer Chris Floyd whether he'd be prepared to chat to us. Yeah, it's one of those straight... I thought, he's, um, he's exactly the kind of person that would be brilliant for us because he tells these amazing stories attached to the pictures he takes which are also pretty great. Uh, and I sort of discovered him on Instagram. I can't remember how I came across him, but it was on Insta somehow. And um, I just thought, well, he'd be great. I'll, I'll just ask him. And I asked him and he got straight back and said, yeah, it sounds like fun. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely amazing. And, and once I started investigating his, his body of work. Body of work. Yeah, his, his archive of photography. I mean, it really did. I, 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 you know, I texted you and said, "Why the fuck has he agreed to talk to us?" Yeah. Uh, just, just because he really has photographed the great and the good, hasn't he? He really has. Yes, he's um, he's done an awful lot of famous people, um, and an awful lot of sort of big publications and stuff use his work. So yeah, he's, he's not messing about. He is not messing about. Um, it's a bit of a bit of a little waterfall noise here. Oh yeah, here we go. Proof as if it were needed that we are out in the countryside. Probably sounds a little bit like interference, that static, doesn't it? Like if you were listening to this on long wave and you just went under a motorway bridge. Yeah, but no, actual babbling brook. Actual babbling brook. <laughs> Stop sniffing now. <clears throat> I mean, you can sniff if you like. I don't really want to be sniffing. It's this goddamn motherfucking cold that I keep wondering whether it's covid or not but isn't it's just a cold yeah well i mean it is the worst time of year isn't it this is 
I've always hated this time of year, January, February, that sort of arse end of the year where Oof. nothing really happens and it's a bit cold and miserable. Makes it's not miserable. very cold right now, is it? No, no, I'm pottering about in a t-shirt and a jumper very happily. And this is a lovely, lovely day. Sun's out and everything. Yeah, but sun's for out. For some is... reason, there's still all the sort of, still get the sort of malaise this time of year that it's just going, oh, what's the fucking point? Oh, what's the fucking point? Jesus Christ. And oh, what's the fucking point was uh, the jumping off point for our conversation <laughs> with, our, with our guest today. It's like I planned that, <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, what the fuck, what's the fucking point? It's a brilliant jumping off point, I think, for yeah, amazing. Uh, any I conversation really as, far as, to, as far as I'm concerned. I didn't expect it to go like that at all. No. With Chris. Uh, he was really welcoming. We were up in his office and we started talking about his work and he was just like, well, I don't see the point of anywhere. Really. <laughs> <laughs> what an amazing way to start. <laughs> I loved it. He's yeah. I, 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 I thought, oh, this is going to be great straight away. Mm. Uh, but uh, he's as anyway. depressive as I am. Yes, he's a, he's a kindred spirit. Yeah. He can't see the fucking point either. Brilliant. Amazing. Let's Brilliant. drink beer until it, uh, we find one. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should identify uh, depressed freelance creative people. I think we'll we call pretty it, much have. <laughs> we'll call it the Wallow Cast, and uh, we'll get together and have a really good Wallow. About how everything's oh, a fucking point. Oh, I've never done anything I like. Every piece of work I've ever produced, I think it's shit. <laughs> um, hey, what are we talking about? Chris Floyd, our guest today. Oh, yes, of course we were. The ludicrously talented and actually quite famous in photography circles, I believe. Definitely. Chris Floyd. I think one of the reasons maybe, we didn't ask him, but one of the reasons maybe he agreed to speak to us is the thing that we've come across a few times with freelancers who tend to be the people we're talking to at the moment, it's quite lonely. Yeah. You can probably tell we're slightly out of breath now. We're going up an extremely gentle incline, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Speak for yourself, Simon. I'm an elite athlete. So oh, yeah. Yeah, this is no trouble for me, this slight incline. Yeah. Uh, but I think Chris... Uh, Chris sort of... I say learnt his trade, that's not true. But Chris uh, certainly put in some hours as the tour photographer for... 90s rock legends the verve indeed he did and i've got to say i was an absolute verve nutcase when oh I was, were you yeah total super fan i was very much aware of them and i remember their hits but i was yeah. not a crazy fan yeah so uh and looking back at Good a lot job. of his photographs in some of the um like i've got um like i've got um a couple of copies of old copies of Select magazine with uh, Richard Ashcroft of The Verve on the front um, and uh, uh, photography credits to Chris Floyd. Oh, really? Yeah, which I, which I hadn't realised. Well, he's one of those guys that you're going to... You may not have heard of him, but I'm pretty much guaranteed that you will have seen his work. So yeah. There'll have been something that, um, that Chris shot that you uh, are familiar with and, you know, most of us, unless you're in the game, I guess... Uh, don't go around looking at photographer credits too much. Well, no, I mean that's it. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I recognise so many of his. I recognise so many of his photographs um, because, uh, you know, because I'm a music fan. And, yeah. And Chris is a crazy music fan. He really, really. Uh, he did a, He, he has a really, done a lot of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows a lot of musicians. Um, but you know, some of his portraits of uh, you know Sleaford Mods or Mike Skinner uh, from the streets, you know, they're quite iconic photographs. You go, oh yeah, I know that one. Right. Uh, I think his McCartney photograph, which we talk about in our conversation, 
Uh, yes. I, think that's quite a, I think it's quite a, quite a well-known McCartney photograph. Yeah. I've seen that um, um, in other places outside of his stuff, if you know what I mean. I've, I've yeah. definitely seen it out in the world. That's right. And, I mean, you know, one of the... One of the let's well, lean on this uh, gate for a minute. Uh, very nice. Like a couple of farmers, Simon. Yeah. Like a couple of farmers surveying their fields. Mm, difficult time of year for the old farming game, isn't it? Well, Why is that? Going? Because it's slightly muddy? <laughs> I, don't, I literally don't know anything about the farming game. No, I, I just don't. thought that sounded like the sort of thing that a farmer might say. This is quite uh, last of the summer wine. It's a little bit Ralph and Ted from the Fast Show, mm-hmm. isn't it? Drainage in the lower field too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a bucolic scene, that's for sure. Yeah, it's lovely. Or does bucolic have to be summer? Uh, no, I think it just has to be rural. Rural. Does it have to be specifically? Has to be English? I don't know about that. I mean, it certainly feels like it ought to be. Yeah. Yeah. Feels like an English thing, yeah, but maybe that's just because we're English yeah, and blinkered, yeah. and privileged and entitled. <laughs> uh, speaking of English uh, and entitled, mm. um, one of the things we didn't talk about with Chris Floyd was his uh, photographs of the royals. Oh yeah, which felt like slightly. I didn't even know until he told us about it afterwards. Yeah, he's got a, a letter from uh, Kate Middleton in his downstairs loo. He does, which is absolutely brilliant. It's um, wicked, isn't it? But yeah, he, he's got he he's got a lovely story about a sort of last minute call to um, go and photograph. What Will. are you doing Tuesday? You, can, you, can you can you come and photograph Wills and Kate, uh, which is pretty amazing. But uh, I guess truthfully, those weren't the stories, or that wasn't particularly one of the stories we were, were interested in. But we, oh gosh, he's got some great stories and. He's writing, uh, he's writing a book, I think he was approached by a publisher who asked him to put some of these fabulous stories that accompany his photographs um, into a book and that will be an absolutely cracking read, I think. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be fantastic. There's a few that we talk about in this, um, a few specifically that we'll put links in in the uh, notes of this podcast so you can have a look. I think it kind of lends itself really well to as a medium, even though it's clearly a audio medium and photographs are quite visual I don't know if you'd noticed they are quite visual yes yeah. I have spotted that a little bit and um, but if we put the links in you can look at the photos that, while he's talking about them which I think might be quite fun if you can be bothered or afterwards if you're driving or whatever you know yeah definitely. but there's like there's one with Paul McCartney which is a big one we talk about a lot uh, there's a uh, Kieran Knightley one Graham Norton and what was the other one well we get fairly Oh, Damon we, we, we all get fairly obsessed with Damon Albarn. I think you're slightly agnostic to the Albarn's charms, aren't you? But uh, I, I'm, I'm certainly. A, Don't mind a bit of blur. Yeah, I've, I've been, I've been spending a bit of time with the uh, latest Albarn album. Have uh, you uh, lately? Yeah. Okay. It's quite a wintry affair. It's called uh, "The Nearer the Fountain, the Purer the Stream," uh, and it has a, a beautiful single off it called "Polaris," which I just adore. And had a wonderful festival moment, my one and only festival last year, at the, right. br- the brilliant End of the Road Festival, with Damon Albarn getting the crowd to uh, to, 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 sing, uh, to, to sing Polaris with him. And it was great. It was my absolute, one of my highlights of my, frankly, fairly miserable year. Mm. Um, so, yeah, okay, fair enough. Yes, I'm definitely not in that, uh, um, in that bracket with Albarn. So, it's, yeah, it's an interesting, the story that... Um, that Chris tells about him, where the, it's basically a shoot that didn't go particularly well, because there was a bit of, it was a bit of sparky, passive-aggressive tension. 
which is great. And one of the brilliant things about Chris and one of the brilliant things about this chat is how candid he is. Yeah, uh, nothing he, 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 he really thing. is. Um, you know, a heart on heart on his sleeve. Um, and uh, but it doesn't feel like telling tales either. It's just you know he's just no, he's just he's just talking about what happened, saying how it was. He's also self-deprecating um, and and quite quite prepared to. Uh, to um, take responsibility for any passive-aggressive, you know, he's 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 great. It's a great chat. It's a really uh, it's a really frank chat, and you know, he's so interesting on creativity. Yeah, as, you, as you'll hear. Absolutely, it's a fun one. It's also a long one, so we should probably stop wibbling on and um, get on with it. Yes, exactly. So this is our chat with Chris Floyd. <laughs> so I was, I was I was loving your blog. Do you keep that? Do you keep up your blog or is that because like, I think for a lot of creative people, a blog is like, oh, God, I've got to do the blog. But I sense you quite like the writing. Oh, I haven't done it for years, really, because it got it's been usurped by Instagram. Really? Mm. Yeah, I did it for, God, probably 10 years. I mean, just but very sporadically, you know, not if I if I thought of something, I would I never thought oh, I must do something for the blog. Mm. I just thought, oh, yeah, that's I'll write about that. Yeah. You know. and, you've, and you've sort of taken that over to Instagram. Yes, I suppose I have really, it, because of the immediacy of Instagram, and also it's, um, you know, it's comes up in front of people rather than with the blog. People have to make an active decision to yeah. go and visit it, whereas with Instagram, I guess it's people just look at it all the time, don't they? Yeah, I love it. Your stories are incredible. Oh, thanks. And you get so many sort of pretty rare for Instagram is that actually an awful lot of the comments are really well worth reading. Uh, people kind of uh, kind of have, oh, God, I remember that. Uh, or I was there. Or I saw that. Or, you know, I met that guy. He was like that too. Um, the stories really are a way for me to justify the existence of the picture. Because mm. I think that um, quite often I just think, oh, who gives a fuck if this picture exists or not? You know, I feel like that about pretty much all everything I do. Do you? Yeah, totally ambivalent towards all of it. Um, Why is that? Because what's the point of any of it? <laughs> I mean, wow, this has got existential quite yeah, fast, hasn't it. it? You're my kind of guy. I kind of, uh, feel, I kind of feel like this about everything. You know, it's not... It, yeah, I, I can be very... Oh God, you get me... I can be very... Um, cynical isn't the word. That's not the word. I can be, yeah, not down on it. Just sort of... It's the it's the it's the uh, futility of effort. Yeah, mm. I understand uh, this this kind of nagging feeling that we're all going to die. So what's the fucking point in any of this shit? Kind of thing. There's a line. Uh, there's a Homer Simpson line. Um, there's a Homer Simpson line for everything. Pretty much. Um, but the one that sums up how this particular way way of thinking is: um, what's the point of going out? We'll only end up back here again. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking about this the other day with a friend of mine who was talking about how much she was looking forward to getting she need to get away, you need to get away on holiday and I remember I remember, I can't remember who it was that said it but it was a, a really great and it's exactly how I feel about holidays right? it's like the problem with holidays is that you go somewhere new but you're still there you know? yeah, yeah. it's still me here with my stupid brain that's the one thing you can't change <laughs> yeah, that's right yeah and it's still me looking in the stupid mirror you know i might be somewhere different but it, i'm still here i'm gonna i'm gonna cut through the existential crap a little oh, bit don't do that. but the the instagram has worked very well for you i think because that's where i discovered your stuff and the reason i think i discovered it was like you say probably not just the pictures but the stories 
that go with them because they make they bring them alive definitely so some picture you took of a celebrity five years ago which is, has no resonance for me but the story about how you got it or what happened you know what made it work that's always going to be interesting whether or not that person's in the news anymore it seems to have worked brilliantly it's a great format isn't it it seems that the the combination of the image and and the story behind it is a it works brilliantly it does and i had to spend some time recently thinking about why i do this because um i'm doing a book it's my first plug of the day. <laughs> I'm doing a book uh, which is supposed to come. I'm, I'm in my deadline for it is the end of March. So we're in January now. So the end of March 2022 is when I'm supposed to have this thing finished. And then it's supposed to be published in September. Right. Anyway, the publisher said to me, I want you to think about why you do what you do. And... That was you in an existential spiral. It, it took me quite a long time to, I just turn it over in my head, you know. It's almost like holding a dice in your hand, like something and just turning it over and over and over. Um, and, I, and, I, and I suddenly, one day, just it just suddenly hit me right in the middle of the forehead why I do what I do. And it, and it has taken me all these years to work it out. And it's, I mean... I'll try and make this relatively short. No, you don't have to. We've got time. If you've got time, it's quite a long story. Well, it's long period. It stretches over a long period. It stretches probably, you know, really from start to finish over a hundred years. Wow! And why I do what I do is when I was a kid, my granddad was quite a huge presence in my life. My my mum's dad. And he he had a re- he had a pretty amazing life. He, you know, he was the child of Russian slash Polish Jews who came to London in no one really even knows actually about nineteen ten, and um, they lived in East London, Bethnal Green. He grew up in Valence Road, which is the same street as the Cray Twins yeah, were from. Say, I remember that from the book. Yeah. Yeah. And um, although he's obviously he was twenty years older than them, but he was there were the people that ran that part of London before the craze. There were a couple of people. One was a guy called Jack Spot, who was a sort of notorious pre-war gangster, and there was another one whose name escapes me now. It'll come to me in a minute. Oh, Billy Hill. These two gangsters. And I don't. I'm not sure which one was which, but anyway, he always said. He was called Sam, my granddad. Um, he always said that. If it hadn't been for the Second World War, he would undoubtedly have lived a life of crime. He absolutely, there was really no. Your, your granddad would have yeah, lived a life. Yeah, he would of have crime. lived a life of crime. There was no, you know, it's the 30s, it's the Depression. You know, he was born in 1917, so he was 18 in 1935. Um, depression, you know, no real job, no opportunities, nothing, especially for someone like them, you know. He, he, he. He was quite a good footballer and he was offered, um, he did trials for Tottenham and they offered him an apprenticeship. And it, But because his dad was like an orthodox Jew, um, he wouldn't sign the papers, the apprenticeship papers, because it would have meant he would have to work on the Sabbath on Saturdays. 
and he refused to sign the papers. And so my granddad grew up with this lifelong, I mean, this is really ironic, he grew up with a lifelong dislike of the Jewish faith. So much so. Denied him a shot at Tottenham. For that reason, because he just, as far as he was concerned, they just denied him. It denied him his individuality. And um, the war came along. He volunteered for the Navy. And I think, you know, in his head, it was it was probably, you know, the na- join the Navy, see the world, you know. So he joined the Navy. They trained him as an elect- I think he might have had, he might possibly have been on an electrician's apprenticeship just before. But anyway, they trained him as an electrician, the Navy, and he specialised he was on destroyers and he was on was basically they were submarine hunting uh u-boat hunting so he was sort of his specialism in the navy was basically detecting torpedoes and stuff and sonar anyway so at the end of the war uh he was based in a naval base in Aden in North Africa and 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 he was ordered to dispose of a massive quantity of navy battleship grey paint. Right at the end of the war, we've got all this paint. We don't need it anymore. Get rid of it. And he struck a deal with people in this town and they sold it to them, and he kept the money. And um, with that money, he started a business after the war, electrical business. And then that grew, and he ended up doing big, sort of big. Developments, big, big, prop, big, um, tall, high-rise buildings, things like the NatWest Tower. He did the Post Office Tower, you know, all these sort of things that were built in the sixties. Mm. And then he expanded, and he went to Singapore, Hong Kong in the seventies, Far East, you know, to do big property boom over there. And when I was a kid, he always used to seem he always seemed to f- go out to these jobs on Concord, and come home on the QE two, and. He what I re- what he did was he made his life work for him, and he would always come back with great presents, brilliant stories, and when we were young, and he could really hold a crowd. He could hold a, he could tell a story, and he charisma, could, and he was funny, mm. um, and he wasn't scared of anybody, and it, it was quite impressive. He was also terrifying if you got on the wrong side of him. And you, as kids, me and my sister always felt like we had to impress him. So if you sat at the table for like, if you went to that house for Sunday lunch, you had to be able to hold your own, even at the age of 10, you had to be able to hold your own at the table. You had to, it's like, what have you done at school this week? It was literally like, entertain me. And if you didn't have something interesting to say to him, he wasn't interested in you. So go, going back to this book thing, my book, um, I sat down and realised, oh my God, that's what I've been doing. I've been collecting stories to tell my granddad so that he's not bored when I see him. <laughs> and that's my Freudian analysis of it. Um, Is that what you're going to call a book? <laughs> stories to tell my granddad? Well, no, I, I did want to call it a catalogue of disappointments. <laughs> <laughs> that seems a lot more down than stories to tell my but granddad. But my publisher said it was too depressing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm with your publisher, um, I think. Um, but anyway, that that's where the sto- the storytelling thing comes from because I was exposed to so much of it when I was a kid. Like he he would, um, I remember once he told me. I'll tell you one story that just I never forget. Um, he said that he went to a charity do. So by the sixties, 
he's done quite well. And uh, he goes to a charity do, and he's at the table, he's on the same table as Montgomery, like the field marshal Montgomery. So obviously in the war, Montgomery's a general. My granddad's like, I don't know what the, uh, a leading seaman, which is like corporal in the Navy. Um, so there's this huge, so in the war, obviously an enormous goal, you know, bottom to top in the war. But 20 years later, they're kind of sitting on the same table, sort of as equals. And um, I remember him saying to me, he, uh, he, he, said, he only said one thing to me. And I said, oh, what was that? And he said, he looked at me and said, did you serve? And I said, Navy. And he turned his back and never talked to me again. <laughs> and he paused. He was a master of timing. He paused and then, and then he just went, he was the kind of man that could light up a room by leaving it. Don't be that man when you grow up. I never forgot that. And, mm. and I think that that's where all the storytelling thing comes from. Was, I, was just, you realise the power that a good anecdote has it and it can take the ability to take something that's quite nothing in reality and almost condense the events of because when I write those stories it's they might it might have played out over four or five hours or a day but really what I'm doing is taking elements and just compressing it uh, compressing the time or slowing a moment down slowing an exchange like maybe I say one thing and you say something back to me and I know I say something to you but to be able to take that and slow it down in the right in the way it's written yeah it's like slow motion writing and and also they're the things that just resonate in your head that you take away from they're the important from, bits as well aren't they you you remove the stuff that's dull and just leave the interesting stuff in and it's and you suddenly got a sparkling anecdote from a day that was just a normal day really. yeah. yeah but I think about your I think I think the the stories you tell because of the because of the setup, because it's photographer and subject, I think they're really visual stories. So when you're, you know, obviously you can see the picture, but when you read the story in your head, in my head, I'm kind of envisaging this quite intimate uh, um, exchange between two people who possibly come to the room with different agendas. Uh, and you can kind of, I can, I can imagine what this studio would be like. And I can imagine it's incredibly intense as well. I can also imagine that there's other interested parties around, like agents and but you can kind of you can kind of see it in your head how, how these exchanges go. And especially when you're talking about um uh, the moments of collaboration or confrontation, uh, which I'll get you to elaborate on in a minute. Uh, you know, those those moments feel so intense uh when you write them, but Maybe, as you say, well, those are going over four or five hours. There's also quite often a power uh, imbalance, the, the, the dynamic. There's a real imbalance. So particularly with people who are famous, not, not really so much with people who, who are just ordinary people. You know? And the funny thing is, it's probably, I don't know, 20%, 20% probably of the work I do, of the people I photograph are well-known or famous and 80 percent of the people i i shoot are ordinary people you know do all kinds of things you know and but i guess it's people pick up on the famous people you know that that's what they think i do and that's some of what i do but it's not all, everything but with the famous people and also i really really um have, i don't really like it calling people celebrities because i mean yeah okay maybe i shot some celebrities but 
the people that I'm people I'm really proud of having photographed and done hopefully good pictures of are people who are quite often the best in the world at what they do. Mm, famous for a reason. Yeah, they're famous for a reason. Yeah. It's it's earned fame. It's not it's not the kind the of modern TV version TV of fame. fame. It's not Big Brother fame. Yeah. It's you know whether that's David Hockney or Paul McCartney or David Bowie or you know a politician. They're people who are you know good at they're good, they're better than anyone else in the world at what they do. Mm. So I I think celebrity demeans them. Yes, you know. I agree completely. The celebrity is the wrong word for them. But they and you were saying about the power imbalance. They again they've earned that power, haven't they? They they may walk into the room feeling slightly taller than everybody else, but again probably for a good reason. They that they, they have. Uh, you know, there's an authority about them because they are good at what they're there for. Well, it's it, and it's the like Paul McCartney say. Paul McCartney's met a hundred thousand photographers in his life. Yeah, of course, yes. Or maybe more. It's not exciting for him to meet a photographer. No, I imagine I've, it's a slight inconvenience for him, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, it's it's part. It's a chore. It's the chore element of his job. Whereas I haven't met any Paul McCartneys. You know, <laughs> I, haven't, nice it, yeah. I haven't met any. This is my first one. Yeah. But he's met 100,000 of me. And he's not thinking about me five seconds before he walks in the room. And he isn't thinking about me five seconds after he's left the room at no. the end of it either. I've thought the... about him constantly. Since you got the phone call. Since I got the phone call. Yeah. That's a great story. Like we were talking about your stories that are. are accompany the Instagram post, the one with the, the I don't know, the, the three shots of McCartney, the one with his eyes open in the middle, where you've, you've um, I don't know, would it be fair to say you pissed him off slightly in order to get that shot? Or you've but made I, him pay attention at least. I didn't do, piss him off deliberately. It wasn't my intention at all, actually. What happened was, I, I had a, I'm a massive, massive fan. The first, first of all, Hang on, what came first, chicken or the egg? Beatles or the photography? Beatles mm. came first, I would say. I th- when 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 I was really young, we had a babysitter. When I was probably eleven, this girl used to babysit for us. She was maybe fourteen, and my parents had all the um, Beatles records, but I'd never, you know, I didn't really go in my parents' record collection at that age. It wasn't a place I explored, and we had this girl that used to come over and babysit. And then she would get my go through my parents' record collection and play records, and she always played all these Beatles records. So even now, the Beatles' Help album, I think of her when I hear any song on that album. Mm. I think of this girl, Nick, and also I was eleven, and she was like my friend's older sister, and you know, I fancied her a bit probably, and you know, she was like a kind of elusive. She was cool, cool fourteen-year-old, you know. So I associate. Songs on the Help album, some songs with her, and that's who I picture when when Paul McCartney sings one of the song like a song like the night before or another girl. I think of her even now, like forty years later. Music's crazy like that with memory, isn't it? Yeah. So that's okay. So it starts there. Then then the first picture I ever saw that made me think that photography could be something other than weddings was um. David Bailey picture of John Lennon and McCartney. Mm. So that's the first picture I see that's like, oh God, that's cool. It's not, it's not, it's not a high street family portrait and it isn't a wedding, it's something else. So there's all that, there's all this, ba- I have this baggage to do with some, someone like McCartney. 
And then I get to photograph him. And then I've read loads of books and, you know, absorbed everything I could about them. So I've got this idea about him from reading so much stuff that his public persona is is not necess- is is not necessarily the truth about him. So, you know, he's got this very, you know, Macca public persona. But really, he's an incredibly ambitious guy. And actually, I don't know if you've seen any of the Get Back Not seen any stuff. of it. Yet. Well, I mean, that's like, you really see it in that. You can just, I mean, as someone said in a podcast I listened to the other day, it literally, music just pours out of him all the time mm. in the Get Back thing. You can, he is a, you can see he's a musical genius. You really can. And I'm not the only person to say this. <laughs> no. yeah, I don't and, think uh, you're alone in that um, But you, it's evident <laughs> yeah. in, from watching Get Back in a way that it's not really been before to actually see... I mean, he comes in one morning, and because it takes place over a three-week period, that film. Yeah. He comes in one morning. He comes in with literally six absolute classics that he's written. <laughs> Just stone cold Like one bangers. after the other. Yeah. You know, someone's like, have you got any new songs? And he plays like, you know. Get back. Yeah. You know, get back for a start, yeah. you know. Anyway, so I've got this idea in my head of like, he's a very focused, ambitious, single-minded, dare I say it, a little bit ruthless individual he's yeah. you know he's he's an onion he's a complex layer of onion, onion skins so that's what i want in my picture of him that is what i'm looking for i want that and that's what i'm trying to get and i haven't really seen it in any pictures portraits of him since the 60s everything through the 70s and onwards it was is very you know i've got a farm and now i've got kids and now i've got a beard and now i've got a mullet and now i've got flares and now i've got now I'm into the 80s with dad jumpers. Yeah. So, sort of phoning and, it in, and a soft, lovely guy. Yes. That was always the thing about Paul McCartney and the Beatles, wasn't it? Yeah. Lennon was the edgy one. Yeah. McCartney is soft and cuddly. Yeah. And round edges. Yeah, round edges. So, but I think he's got sharper edges than that. And that's what I wanted. So anyway, to cut, try and cut the long story short again, um, that I was pushing for that all through my time with him and he wasn't giving it to me. And then he said to me, what's the matter, don't you like a bit of whimsy? And I said, not when there's a war on, Paul, because the Gulf War, the 2003 invasion of Iraq, had only just happened, maybe, I can't remember now, a week earlier or a few days, but we were in the middle of it. And in my head, I said it, in my head I was being like Captain Mannering from Dad's Army. Yeah. That I, I thought I was saying something quite funny. There's a like, of irony in Yeah. yeah. Not when there's a war on Paul, yeah, yeah. you know. But he completely read it the, the wrong way or misread it as me being, you know... Um, glib about Glib something. and cutting him down. Yeah. And that's why his face went like that. But that was also the moment where I got suddenly saw the thing that I had been looking for. The yeah. facade slipped away. Yeah. Yeah. Push the button. Well, well, I mean, I wouldn't say it was a facade. It was just... There well, was a truth so was revealed. Much armor, isn't he? He must have in order to survive being that famous. You you must have to hide yourself a bit. Yeah, and that, that's that, a really good point. And I guess that that what you're you, what you were trying to do, what every other photographer before you was trying to do, perhaps was was to get back to the guy underneath it all. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. And that is another cracking comment. These boys are at the top of their game. I love when you said what I'm after is the truth. Do you feel like with every with every one of your portraits, you're after the truth? You're after um, you want to see into someone's soul a bit, and 
do you go into those situations thinking, I know what I want from this? Do you ever go in with an idea? Very rarely. I mean, that's one of the few times I had a clear idea of what I wanted. Often I go in with no idea at all. And often I think what I come out with actually is a reflection of myself more than anything. Um, because I'm not actually, I'm not of a, a, I'm not a particularly socially confident person. You know, I'm, I'm withdrawn. I'm introverted. I'm introspective. I'm not, I don't enjoy meeting people. And I think I do the photography as a way to force myself in, into interacting with the world. Like when I have a shoot coming up, I dread it. Do you? Yeah, I never look. I've never looked forward to anything in my life ever. And <laughs> do you enjoy I've, it while it's on? No. Well, actually, no. Until I realise that I've got something that's usable. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like is, is there a moment some, where you? There's a moment where I'm like, I've got him with his eyes open. I've got him where it's in focus. <laughs> And, you know, it's literally that as simple as that. I have fulfilled the basic requirements. Yeah, fulfilled yeah. the basic requirements. I've got it's, it's not going to come back from Boots with a sticker on it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but it's a... Oh, who was it? There's a comedian, Marty Feldman. Yeah. Who said, I don't enjoy doing things, but I do enjoy having done things. Absolutely right. I agree with that completely. It feels like the same... It's like... Um, I remember literature being described as the book that everyone, no one wants to read, but everyone wants to have read. And it feels like there's there's so much of that stuff that is, I, I want to be able to look back on it, but I don't really enjoy the slog of yeah. doing it. It's because it's, it's to do with, um, you sometimes have to go places with people to get something good out of them. Yeah, You have to push, it's, it's awkward it, it, because it's a form of, it's very intense taking someone's picture and it's and it's it's a very compressed it might be the it might be a relationship that we're in, we're taking place outside of photography and just in real life normal life it might, you might go through a whole range of things that in real life might take a year or 5 years to play out yeah whereas in so this artificially compressed it's artificially compressed series of interactions and exchanges and bits conversational things to get because I'm you want you're trying to I'm trying to get things that come from sometimes awkward places often Ooh. I say terrible things to people <laughs> that I really wince when I tell you what's, what's so what's funny right or, looking looking at your body of work I look through it and I thought this guy's got incredible people skills I just assumed, right, and to hear you say that you don't feel, you feel introvert, you feel awkward. The, the, looking at your photographs, I, I'd have said, this guy just knows how to uh, um, get, get people to trust him. Yeah, get the uh, best out of people. Yeah, get the best out of people. I it, it really does might be true. Okay. I, I suspect that you do, and, and, and part of you being able to do it is that you think you can't, if you, in a way. Yeah, you might be right. I... I, I, I I do. I think about this a lot because the person I am at work is not the person I am at home. It's not the person I am. Well, I'm 53 now, so you know, I'm 53 old man, and we don't, people of men of my age don't have any friends, right? So, <laughs> um, I've got actually got one friend. 
and he doesn't have any friends either. So, <laughs> um, the yeah, the person I am at work is not the person I am at home. And what I am at work is what I wish I could be when I was at a party. When I'm at a party, yeah, but right. I'm not. But you're honestly saying you don't enjoy that. In the process of a shoot, when you're doing that thing and it's going well, that must be a fun. It's a rush, isn't it? There is a rush when you realise you've got something good. You definitely hit. You definitely when it's gone well or when it's going well, you hit. You suddenly hit a seam. And the, actually, that I've never thought of this before, but. Just now into my head has come the image of a train on, you know, like on a train set, mm-hmm. just going, being slightly off the tracks. And then you get a moment when all the wheels of your train, the engine and all the carriages are suddenly on the on the track of the train set all at the same time. And suddenly you, it's such a nice, that feeling of smoothness. Yeah. And it's, whereas up until that moment, sometimes... Some of the wheels are on the track and some of them aren't. And you're just trying to align everything. And it and might it, just fall off. And it's a combination of things. It's technical things to do with composition, lens choice, lighting, all the, all the things that make it look like how it looks. And also how the person in front of the camera is feeling or reacting to you. Um what that, what that so sometimes, you know, I can have the li- absolute perfect lighting. I'm really happy with this lighting, but there, I'm not got that. I've not got anything from them that I'm happy with. Mm. And then I've got they look, they're doing something great, but the lighting's terrible, or haven't haven't got it all right. It's, so it's it's the alignment of a whole series of separate elements coming together simultaneously. And it feels like there are, there are almost too many variables. Uh, that you can't control. And yeah. if you're an anxious person, controlling things is very yeah. important, isn't it? Um, that you've got to be, in your line of work, your creativity is quite a public thing. You know, it's like for me, if I'm making an illustration in my office, it's just me. And it doesn't matter about the vibe in the room. I can, you know, I can, I can, I can go about my business. Whereas for you, expressing yourself, getting all those things right, is happening in front of people. And it's happening in front of the most important person, I suppose, yeah. uh, who's the person you're taking the photograph of. And that your, I suppose, your behaviour, the vibe you're putting out might affect, you know, how they're feeling about yeah. having their photograph taken today. Um, and often I will mirror what I get from them. Um, so... You know, I don't do well when I'm confronted with someone who is not asked about me taking their picture. I, you know, I will, if I'm presented with passive aggressiveness, I will tend to respond with passive aggressiveness. I mean, there's a shoot I did with Damon Albarn from Blur. I mean, that whole day was like a, it was like a symphony of passive aggressiveness. (laughs) Because... I think, I mean, you know, we're the we're born in the same year, both born in the same year. You don't actually look dissimilar either. Well, I was about to say that because <laughs> that is not, yeah, that's about the 4,000th time I've heard that. I bet, yeah. Yeah, in my life. And in the 90s, I, we, I really did look like it. I think not so much now, but then. Yeah. I mean, I got mistaken for him in a bar in LA once by there was an English barman in the bar and he said you're the guy in blur and I was like I'm not I'm not and he, he was convinced I was 
And then that's exactly what Damon Albarn. And then he <laughs> said the most amazing thing, which was, uh, "You look more like him than he does." <laughs> um, this is great. I was mistaken for Damon Albarn. Yeah, I, you. I mean, I can see you've got, you've got. Yeah, I mean, you've got the same hairline and everything. Yeah, you know, but, face yeah, shape, Albarnian everything. looks. So I was mistaken. Good looks. But I was. <laughs> I mean, he's incredibly handsome. Incredibly so we're. Handsome, I'm, I was quite happy to be compared so with him. So was I. Yeah. I, don't I, was mistaken, I don't know anything. Like I was it. mistaken for Damon Albarn by an incredibly drunk Mark E. Smith from the Fall. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, in in a pub in Cambridge, right. I was coming out. I was coming out of the loo, and I recognised him, and I went, "All right, Mark." And he pushed me up against the wall, and he went, "I know your face like that." I was like, "I don't think you do." You're that lad from Blur, lad. Yeah, and and I was like, "I'm really not. I'm really not." Anyway, nice to see you. Bye. Thanks. <laughs> he went, and he run saw, away. Yeah, run away. <laughs> run away from the scary guy. Um, was that the end of it? It didn't, uh, didn't bother you. It didn't give you any bother after that. No, it didn't. But it turned out that on that night he was supposed to be at a gig in Manchester and had got the wrong city. I quite, I quite liked everything about it. So um, I've had this for years and years. People telling I look like him. Um, I'd never met him before, and you know. So I, I go to that shoot with him with all this baggage. It's always the baggage, right? Mm. So I go with this baggage of, you know, oh, people think, oh, you know, I look like him and blah, blah, blah. And I'm a huge, big fan as well. He's incredibly creative. He's a genius, isn't he? Creative, really? yeah. yeah I, th- I th- really think he is, actually. Yeah, I do too. He's got that. He, actually, he does remind me of McCartney. There's a re- restlessness, a relentless need to constantly be be creating making making music in in both of their cases and um but of course he doesn't know me from adam right so i'm just some i'm again i'm just a photographer he doesn't have that hysterical um history that i have of people telling me i look like him so no one's ever said <laughs> you, well, look you like know chris what floyd. you really look like chris <laughs> floyd no one's ever said that to him god that's so flat you know that's so funny. There's all this, and then you know he's just very like passive aggressive. And the way I described it was, yeah, I think I might, I wanted him to like me because because I'd had years and years of 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 people saying you look like him. It would have made nice And we're the same, story, born in the it? same year, you know, same height. So same what did happen? Color. What was it? Was there? A, was there? A... So, but of course, I'm completely. He's. I'm the first time in his life he's ever been confronted with me, or anything to do with me, mm. and so. And again, I'm just, you know, it was at his his studio, his recording studio. Um, and I was just someone he had to sort of have an interaction with for an hour. So, and he obviously wanted it to be over as fast as possible so he could get back to the thing that, so he could get back to his creativity. Yeah. Because my creativity is not his creativity. Yeah, yours was in his way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do remember trying to say to him quite early on um, something about oh, something about photography, uh, about what a good portrait is or I, just something. And I read this anecdote. Yeah. I, what did I say? I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah. You're trying to, you're trying to get him to play ball. Uh, and he says, um, I've done this enough times to know what a good photograph looks like. That's right. And then I said, and I've listened to enough music and I know what a good record sounds like. So there was this, that was his sort of dig at me and then I had a dig back at him. Did uh, that aid the passive It actually mood? did. No, it did actually because he he, he he said something like, oh, good one. 
like he right, fair enough. he took it in yeah, yeah he took it in good spirit touche and then we were getting along fine for a while because because I'd sort of you know hit he you know if you put it in boxing terms he jabbed me and I jabbed him back and you know and it was all fine and we, and then and then I said something else quite innocuous yeah, and I mean this was like the right hook that he gave me <laughs> I said something really innocuous and he went, oh, and you were doing so well. Uh, uh, and it was literally like having a pin stuck in you and the air coming out. The picture you got, or the, 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 the results of the shoot with Damon Albarn, was there anything in it that you liked? Not really. I mean, it's all right. I don't love it. No. It's just, it's it it will do. It, yeah, I, you know, it, because I don't feel like we really got to a point where we could do anything good because he didn't really want to do it. So, But you got enough, You like, as we said before, fulfilled the basic requirements, but there was nothing in there you thought, yeah, that's fucking banging. That is, that, I've nailed that. No, I don't feel like I nailed it with him. No. And that's the, thing that you, that's the thing you come out of it where you feel really like, absolutely, you feel like a catastrophic failure. You know, you just feel like, oh. The photograph of him from that shoot, he doesn't look quite himself. Uh, and it's very serious. He looks very serious and very intense. It sounds like and, he's quite and, annoyed now. And well, <laughs> and it, it sounds like a fair reflection of your encounter, actually. Yeah, because, I di- well, I didn't have very long either. Yeah. And, you know, because I'd gone to the, the studio, I didn't really, there wasn't anything... I couldn't really work with it photographically, visually, that the place. Um, so I, I, I always take a backdrop with me, but I'd rather not use a backdrop. Yeah. But in this case, I just didn't, there was nothing there that I was really vibing with. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, oh, fuck it, I'll put the backdrop up. And then he was like, uh, you know, he comes in and he's like, oh, this seems a bit formal, you know, the backdrop. Yeah. Um, you know, well, what am I supposed to say to that? No, you know, I don't, I don't know. know what to say to that. Do you have a little bit of, have you ever had a little bit of, well, fuck you about about it? Uh, have you ever, have you ever, like in that instance, for me personally, as an absolute nailed on people pleaser, I need people to like me. Well, uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel strongly that. But I think you either, I, I would either go one of two ways. Uh, I'd, I'd either shrink completely and nothing would happen, or maybe there would be a little part of me that goes, you know what, fuck you. Actually, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen here. Uh, this is, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, and you're going to do that. And if you walk out, fine. I mean, I am a people pleaser. I, I, want people to, I want people to like me, and I want people to like what I do, what I've done. And it f- it's a real letdown when you, you, you feel like you haven't achieved that, when you haven't, you've, you've, gone, you've gone to work today, You've got up, you've gone to a place, you've left, the people there don't like you, and I don't like what I did either, and I <laughs> yeah. don't like myself Well, that's either. not a good day in anyone's book, is it? No, no it's yeah. not. It's very... But Jesus Christ, we've all had those days. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Even if it's a place... The other thing also is that, you have, uh, you know, because I've been doing it for so long now, quite often... Um, yeah, because because a lot of these things are you're you're photographing people who have had their picture taken infinite number of times, and then it's not exciting for them. You know, if you go if you go and photograph a lottery winner who's never had their picture taken before, 
they're really excited. I've won the lottery. There's a photographer coming to take my picture. It's a big day for them. You know, you go and photograph McCartney or Damon Albarn, it's not a big day for them. Um, it's a big day for me. Every job is a big day for me, but it's not a big day for them. And that's what I mean when I said earlier about the sort of power dynamic, the, 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 whole, the, whole, the whole imbalance in how each of you sees the time that you're spending together. Mm. You know, you, there must be instances as well, though, of um, people you go and photograph who are, even though they've had, they may have had their picture taken lots of times, they are professional about it and they're, they're cognizant of your role in it and, you know, they're sort of respectful and sort of generous with their, uh, with the, with the relationship. So you get a good working relationship straight away, even with someone you've never met before. I think, I mean, it's interesting that we've been talking about musicians because I think that that, because, you know, for musicians, photography is not necessarily a big deal for them. It's an evil that they have to... Necessary evil. It's a necessary evil that they have to sort of engage Why with. Why do you say that? But I mean, well, on, yeah. going on... I'll, but then there are musicians that do actively partake in, in you know, in, in the process because it's also part of what they do so if you go I mean when I think back to the stuff I did in the 90s like the Verve stuff for instance that was a classic band who wanted to have no part in not only really doing pictures but also being seen to be interested in doing pictures mm. because it's about the music but it also that's what makes it Man. good yeah it, because, yeah, yeah. because it's their ambivalence sort of, yeah there's a candidness which is clearly not candid because they've got a photographer with them but you, you sort of capture them in a way that looks like they're not posing they're in, in a way trying to distance themselves from it. That is the classic band shot. That yeah, it's is the rock classic and roll, band shot. Is, is a, a band somewhere on location, crucially not looking at the camera, yeah. looking anywhere but the camera because we're too cool for this. Yeah, we've, then, the we've, we've, we've got flip we've, it the V's. That's right. We've, yeah, exactly. But Give then it. you have a band like Pulp, who are from the same era, who are completely opposite, or Jarvis, Cocker especially, much more like tuned to visual image mm. and... A keen, keen awareness of pop history, pop, not rock, right? So, you know, Jarv is someone who I photographed, you know, four or five times maybe, and he always brings something to it, you know, you know. I wonder if it's the difference between mods and rockers because I know I'm a I'm a big Johnny Marr fan, and I know you've done we've worked with Johnny Marr before. Man, that guy gives great photo, um, and it feels like he's completely on board with. Uh, you know, whatever you want to do. And yeah. I, I sometimes look at Johnny Marr photographs from different photographers and think it's almost like he's his own art director there. It looks yeah. like he's doing his own thing in every photo. Yeah. Um, uh, but I would say with actors, actually f actresses, female actors, um, are often great to shoot because for them, appearance is intrinsically bound up in what they do. It's everything, isn't it? It's everything, yeah. you know. Or it, it, it's a big certainly a big part of, of it of it you I guess, know yeah maybe that, that makes sense doesn't it i guess if that's the career you've chosen uh you're not going to get bored of having your picture taken and also it's a visual being an actress is a visual thing yeah. you know how, what you look yeah. like on a screen or on yeah. a still is that that's your currency isn't yeah, it? yeah yeah so often but with them it's a there's a whole different set of obstacles and mountains that you've got to get over and um, a big one with with, with in that field is trust so 
you know, with musicians generally, it's like they don't really care who turns up to take their picture. But with especially actresses, they they've got to feel like they tr- they've it's got they've got to trust you, or feel like you can be trusted, and that you're not gonna. I don't know. Stitch them up is a bit of a crude word to say. Yeah, you have an agenda as you go in. You're, yeah, you're, you're you're looking to. And then another, uh, I mean, another thing. The best light. Another thing is, is also having been done this for a long time now. There's uh, there's some women I photographed several times over a long period of time, and you can see that age is a massive. Is is the big, is the big thing that looms, with with them. You know. So you know, I've got. There's certain I don't really want to say any names, but there's no, a couple don't. of actresses that I worked with, photographed four, five, six times over a 25 year period, and you know when they're young, 25 years ago, at, at, you know they're carefree, very loose, and you can see, but you know, and, you, and I'll photograph them just you know say one on average once every five years. You can see as they get older how much more self-conscious they are about their looks, their appearance, everything. And you have to be very, very respectful and careful and loving with the way that you photograph them and treat them. And if you can demonstrate that that you haven't, that's your what you're doing, then they, you, I find that it's, they relax much, they relax completely in your presence and they feel reassured you know presumably you. a lot of the trust comes from your body of work you know at this point in your career where if you know if, if an actress or, or somebody who maybe does have some trust issues is knowing they're going to get photographed by you all they have to do is look at your back catalog yeah. actually this guy is clearly you know somebody i can trust you know he's- i mean i do think that i've got a body of work now that can can sort of um work for whoever might be looking at it oh yeah he's done this he's done that he's done whatever um, and if they've not happy with me as a choice, then that's their problem, not mine. You know, in in that that's one area when I'm just part of me is just like, well, fuck them then. Hello, this is Catherine Loveday, professor of cognitive neuroscience. I've examined the brains in front of me, and I can confirm that Simon and Neil are indeed a pair of twats. Neil and Simon, Neil and Simon, what a pair of twats! Riding on the coattails of people who have talent They are not afraid to look like a desperate double act Neil and Simon, Neil and Simon, what a pair of twats I loved looking back at your um, blog last night and you had a, um, had a, a really nice entry on there uh, from a while ago um, and it was about uh, I think it was a, a sort of triptych of confrontations uh, and you've got this really nice theory about collaboration at one one end of the line and confrontation at the other end of the line so you have uh, this idea that sometimes you can get a really great result from somebody who really wants to collaborate with you and I you know again look at your Instagram you said Graham Norton was an absolute delight for example and then at the other end of the spectrum you've got Maybe somebody that's not having it. Uh, you know, Damon, well, Damon is a good example. Yeah, or, or Russell Brand. That's when, actually when, a thing when, where when, the, when there's when there's a you know. Uh, t- don't touch my hair. Don't touch my hair. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it feels like there's a great you know there's potentially great creativity or a really great shoot at either end of that spectrum. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're talking about the Damon Albarn one that where you weren't really happy with the result. I bet there've been instances where it has been a bit confrontational, where the result's been great, like McCartney, I suppose. Yeah. 
I mean, McCartney's confrontation was an unspoken one, really. It was just me not being happy with... He was phoning it in with me. He was giving me the time. He was giving me the chronological time. But he wasn't giving me any emotional... Or, so sorry. what about the collaborations though? What about what about those those people who are completely on board, want to play ball? Tell me, you know, where do you want me? What's your idea? What can I do to help? Well, it's funny because I feel like when it's completely when they're completely like dough in your hands, I don't really get anything great because often I don't really know what I want. You know, and I, do, I mean, considering this podcast is about creativity, I don't feel that I'm a particularly creative person. <laughs> that, I really don't. That's mildly and, ridiculous. Know. I have to say, <laughs> nothing mildly about it. <laughs> I think a lot of your creativity, from what you're saying, sounds like it is it is on the hoof. It comes. Yes, it's totally on the hoof. Yeah. It's in the moment. Yeah. You know what well, I mean? I've got, I use so many cooking analogies and musical analogies. Oh, in, what's your favourite cooking analogy? Well, making um, a stew is it a. I mean, it's things like dinner. someone. <laughs> I go to someone to photograph someone. If I go to say their house, to someone's house to photograph them, and they go, you walk in the door, and the first thing they'll say is, "What do you want to do?" Right? As I, you know, I'm in a place I've never been before, and you're a person I've never met before, and I'll say, "I can't tell you what I'm going to cook till I've seen what's in the kitchen," oh, you know, and that's my nice. metaphor for. I need to find out, A, I need to know what you're like. I need to have a conversation with you first. And I, and I really, I re- the other thing is I really hate the bit where I have to start taking the pictures. Because the longer I can have um, literally just sitting here chatting, also I'm a bit lazy, you know, it's a bit of a ball ache having to like cart all this gear around. Yeah. Um, Open all those cases. Yeah. So I'll... Um, so this is research. This is what you're talking about there. The, 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 the chat beforehand, the getting to know you, the drawing that out for as long as possible is kind of the equivalent of doing your research yeah. if you are um, yeah. a logo designer or uh, if you're in advertising. It's getting to know your subject before yeah. you can have a brilliant idea, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's also I'm looking, at, um, I'm looking at the structure of your face. I'm looking at... Uh, you know, how you are physically, you know, because everyone everyone does have a better side and everyone does look good in certain different lights. And, you know, so I'm, I'm sort of analysing you f- from a technical photographic lighting point of view and then also just sort of need to kind of get find out what you're like, you know. I mean, Graham Norton, you mentioned just now, is it, quite a good one because I found him to be spectacularly shy in real life. And I hope he doesn't mind me saying that, but you know, because I only met him the once, but it was it was pretty much you know full day, and and he was really sweet and nothing like what he's like on the radio or on the telly. He was, you know, I mean the thing me saying, you know, like you said, you know, you you looked at you look at my work and you think you see someone with spectacular people skills. Well, if you met me at a party. I would, you know, I mean, I stumble to speak to people at, you know, parties, and and so I fully understand that, you know, what how people are in their job is not necessarily what they're like in real life, and he was a really good example of that. He was incredibly shy, and sort of very, very, um, yeah, sweet and and very modest and not not loud or bombastic or anything like that. 
Um, that, that and that's what that picture was. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a great... You've captured that because it's he's almost unlit. There's it, there's clearly studio lighting there, or, you know, lights there, and he's almost out of them Yeah. in order to get that sort yeah. of the impression of him sort of shrinking from it, from yeah. the spotlight. Because the job we were there to do was for... It was for Virgin Radio, and it and it was all the publicity stuff for Virgin. So we had to do all this film, moving image, all these gifts for yeah. you know, for him to for, to promote the show, his radio show, and all this, all the all the billboard stuff, very bright, you know, ver- bright backgrounds, and him doing, you know, I'm now miming Graham Norton, you know, doing kind of listen to my show. Mm. Uh, but for you, it seems to me that what you've done there is you. <laughs> you'd gone into the kitchen, looked in the fridge, and 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 you were looking for the truth. And the truth of yeah. this man is not a bombastic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Graham Norton Show. Yeah, it's he's... a quite a serious, shy guy. Yeah, and that's the photograph you got. So the truth seems to me to be well, impo- important. I guess among many, that, that, this this is what I'm saying about the. You're, it's ridiculous the, your your assertion that you're not creative because you were there to do the job, which is all the billboards and the and the jazz hands and the. Uh, you know, promotional stuff. But the creative bit you got, that shot, is the one that you come away with and go, yeah, that, that, I've got him there. That's it. There he is. Yeah. Which is probably not something that was commissioned. No, no. I mean, it's no, it's, it's just, that's just my picture. That, yeah. and, and what, but also to his credit, he completely let me do that. Mm. I said, can I, I think I said to him, can I just do something for myself? And he was like, yeah, sure. So, you know, we turned off all the big, what I call the tits and teeth lights. Yeah. Turn them all off. And had, you know, a couple of small things. And we didn't speak. You know, I just I just said, you just stay there and be, just exist. <laughs> and I'll do and I'll and I'll stay over here and I'll exist over here. Four feet away from you. And and he completely let me do that, you know, and he didn't he didn't mind, he didn't seem to mind anyway. Um so anyone that's prepared to just let you try and carve out a bit of honesty out of a situation that's fundamentally artificial, which yeah. is what a thing like that is. Yeah, but that's Picasso's art is a lie that tells the truth. I feel like this is this is what your, you know, a lot of your... That's lot a of your, great line. I've never heard that. Ah, yeah. It's Picasso. Art is a lie that tells the truth. I, I've sort of I've mulled... I've, oh, God, I think about that so much. I sort of sometimes think about whether it means what I think it means. But it, what I think it means is that this is an artificial construct, this photograph, this illustration. We've created it artificially, it's a lie. But really good art, whether it's great writing, whether it's uh, great painting, it reveals something about yeah. human nature or reveals something about something true about what we're like or what the subject's like. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. Isn't that what it's about? Yeah, yeah, and but some people are not necessarily keen for you to explore that with them. But that again, but that's where the trust thing comes from, or trust where the trust thing is not comes from, but it's where it's necessary to say to people, "Look, I'm just, I just want to come out. I just want to take a good picture. That is, that is the, that's all I'm here to do." I think that's. I think that's. You know, from from my point of view as a jobbing 
freelancer who gets given briefs whether whether interested parties where you know maybe the publisher is very interested in the results uh, the, the the person I'm working with is very interested in the results um, you know there are agendas there as to what you get so for example with your shoots with maybe well let's take two end of the spectrums uh, uh, Graham Norton and Damon Albarn who's paying for those photos and are there any interested parties who are looking for a different result. So when that Auburn picture was taken, who was it taken for and were they happy? That was for Billboard, the American music bible. I um, don't know whether they were happy or not with them. I've done some other shoots for them that they will, I know they were really happy with. But they weren't unhappy? I don't think they were unhappy, no. And with Graham, with Graham Norton's shoot, where you said, you said... This one's let me take one for me. Yeah, so it was all. That's um, but that's lovely. But that and that, but presumably that suggests that there were a range of other photos that he was choosing from. Graham Norton for the usage mm-hmm. for the the actual commercial purpose. The the reason someone put their hand in their pocket and paid for that whole day. Um. Yeah. Yeah. There was a whole other. You know. It was all the. It was all the. Yeah. The so are you, are you ever given? Are you given a brief beforehand? Yeah, for that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we fulfilled that, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, that was done, wasn't it? The big, the tits and teeth stuff with the, yeah. the Graham Norton jazz hands. Listen to my new radio show. Yeah, yeah. all that's done, and then you have. That he's also moment. bloody funny. Without, <laughs> I mean, he's a master of um, he is a master of a jaded eye roll. Right. You know, like a, <laughs> you know that. I imagine, uh, yeah. which is I sometimes listen to him on the radio or have listened to him on the radio. I think he's a genius on the radio. He's very di- again, it's a it's a different thing, isn't yeah. it? He's, he's oh, uh, I mean the he's other really thing dynamic as well. I love his talk show. The other yeah. thing also about this is you really do have an awareness of the cr- of other people's people who do other disciplines like he's on the radio, Damon Albarn's a musician. Um you 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 become acutely aware of the of people's craft. Uh, that's what I find actually is when I'm photographing people who are aware of the fact that there is some craft going on here. I hope people who are respectful of you have your you know that I've got my craft. This is your craft. I understand that you have to do things in order for your craft to to work. It's when you encounter people who have no concept <laughs> or awareness, they just think it snaps. I mean, the worst one is they go, I mean, do you really need all this stuff? <laughs> do you really need all this stuff? I mean, why have you got all this? You know, I mean, not the number of times I've had that. I mean, that comes from people I think who are insecure. Quite often, uh, people who are insecure in their own environment or in their own situation... And they and their way of kind of puffing themselves up is to question what you're doing. So what they're actually saying is, I'm nervous about this. Yeah, yeah surely that way, must be. It's about, a way oh. of by belittling, by attempting to belittle the effort you've put into doing uh, this job. By attempting, they're sort of trying to belittle you as mm. if you've gone, you know, way over the top. It's got to be because they're they're dreading having their picture taken, Could be. and they're hoping it's over quickly. 
and you arriving with armfuls of kit, is they're thinking, oh my God, it's going to take ages. I think, I think the other thing is that the more kit arrives, the more it feels like, oh, this oh, is quite a big deal. Yeah. And I, it's make, every time you bring another I mean, bag into the room, you know, the, I'm, 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 I'm feeling more and more the, nervous the, about um, this. The, do you need Can you your... stop bringing those bags in? <laughs> the, um, the, the do you need all this stuff thing? I just think, well, if you were going into a, if you were in a hospital going into an operation, now, yeah, yeah. and the doctor, the doctor, the doctor only brought, you know, just the, just the he one just scalpel. brought the one knife. <laughs> Would you go? Oh, great! I'm so glad you haven't faffed around with all that stuff. You know. Yeah, let's keep this you know, simple. I'm glad you're looking to keep it simple. I mean, there's keeping it simple, and then there's, and then I, you know, and then I just say, you know, look, if I didn't bring all this gear, I'd need it. The fact that I've brought it, hopefully for you, means I won't need it. You know, we're in a gear place now. Uh, I, I suspect I know the answer to this question already. But are you? Uh, do, do you care that much about the technical side of things? From a, you know, are you a geek with um, kit? No, didn't think you were. Uh, I'm not at all. And that's not. You get a certain type of person that um, you get. You okay? You get geeks. Then you get. <laughs> Then you get geeks, people who are geeky but don't want to admit it. Mm-hmm. And then you get people who overtly claim to literally not even know what camera they own. Yeah, You yeah. know, which I think that's bullshit as well. Of course it is. Um, but where, where are you on the spectrum? Uh, I, don't, I, don't care, I don't care about any of it until I realise that I need something new. Mm. And then I'm interested in like, okay, I need to, I need this type of lens or this type of light or some weird stand or tripod. Okay, I really could do with one of those. Which one shall I get? And then I'll ask the people I know that do know all that stuff. And then whatever they say, that's the one I'll buy. Right. So you've got sort of geek friends who you trust. I've got geek friends. I've got one assistant called Tom who works with me a lot, who is just, he is he is the supremo of geeks mm-hmm. who knows everything about everything. We, we all need to know people like that, don't we? Yeah. And, and um, you know, Tom will just say, oh, you need the bloody da 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 Mark IV. Don't get the Mark III. It's shit. The Mark IV is really good. <laughs> they brought out Mark V, but that's not as good as the Mark IV. You know. Yeah. Um, you just cut through, like, four hours of Googling. Yes, exactly that. Yeah. But I do like having nice things. It's nice to have options. Um I think one of the things actually in the digital sphere is that you tend to, I mean, I've got um, lots of old film cameras mm. that I don't really use very often. But when I do, I really enjoy using them. And I tend to use them just for personal things more than anything, really. Never really shoot film on an actual paying job anymore. But I'll shoot f- old film cameras and... The thing I realised recently was that the in the fil- in the days when we were shooting film all the time pre digital, the range of film options and, and, and types of camera like large format, large format camera, plate camera, blanket over your head, mm. versus a thirty five millimeter, you know, camera with a motor drive or a medium format camera in the middle. They're so different in the way that you approached using them and the way that you. Did the photography you did? They were so different, and that doesn't really exist anymore in the in the digital sphere. They're all sort of the same. Are they? Yeah, pretty much. Doesn't I mean, all yeah, the only difference really is that they give you varying degrees of file size. 
you know. Right, you just get a bigger sensor and you bigger get a sensor, smaller more, sensor. more information. That's sort of it, really. Whereas, you know, plate camera versus 35mm versus medium format. You know, you hold a medium format camera at the waist and it's got a waist level finder. So, you, you know, you're looking down from above. So you, you're taking pictures with the camera at your waist. 35mm, you're holding it up in front of you. So it's a different height and you move differently. Plate camera, it's on a tripod. You've got a blanket over your head. You can't, you're frozen to the ground. Mm. You know, the way you physically operate them is completely different. So these days, are you, um, I'm assuming, you don't even look through viewfinders, you're looking at monitors? Yeah, well, actually, so I've got Fuji cameras now. And, you know, they've got screens yeah. on the back that flip out and can yeah. move. Yeah, so you're not, like, glued so to the back of the camera. So actually, you can do, I mean, you can hold those cameras, you could hold, because you can make the screen kind of go in, articulated screens yeah yeah you can hold it down here and you know or up above your head so that's what i suppose that does allow you to adopt different points of view but um i suppose the point is you can choose can't you you're not limited to one yeah how did you learn your craft you know you're talking about the craft talk about you know thinking about like um when i'm looking at your photographs i'm automatically drawn to your your portraits of famous people are, are quite, you know, they, they, they do draw your eye a bit. Right. But I always notice, like, when you're shooting two people, like there's the one as, there's one of Johnny Marr and Bernard Sumner, probably from electronic days. Yeah. Um, and then there's one of Weller and Noel Gallagher. How do you position, uh, so I suppose it's a composition question, making sure that you don't have two people who are kind of competing in a shot? Well, I mean, for me, that's all of... That comes from David Bailey for me. That's he's my, you know, I described him as my photographic ground zero, um, and I have travelled a long way since, you know, him being my original influence. You know, but I do think of him in a funny way as my home port, you know, and I come back to him time and time again in the way that he would position, particularly yeah, pairs of people he'd make them their heads go in opposite directions so that they don't mirror each well they kind of he'd make people mirror each other but in a way that's asymmetric rather than symmetric um yeah just the way yeah what i'm looking for is a sort of visual flow a visual flow through a picture you know it's like if you draw a line does, does how does the eye read this you know it's like if you're a designer then you know what I'm talking about. You know, you know about how the eye moves through, a, moves across a page. Yeah, you you, re, you read an image or yeah, read a photograph like it's you read like a page, a, top to bottom, left to right. I mean, or groups of people. You know, I don't really like to have them all at the same height. You know, so often I sort of think of it like a wave, like a, like a the way the wave you know see a wave in the ocean. Um. So, you know, if I have five people, you know, you put like one on the end standing up, next one, maybe make one stand on a little box, an apple box, so a bit higher, and then have one sitting down, another one standing up, one thing. So you get this kind of, I'm drawing like a sine wave with my finger, like you mm. get this, you get this very pleasing flow. It reminds me of that, what you just said there, I was picturing the, is it Vanity Fair that do that faces to watch thing? And yeah. they have those big old fold-out covers, so they're super long. Well, they're big covers, yeah. The sort yeah. of Annie Leibovitz covers, yeah. That kind of stuff, yeah. yeah. And they always do that, don't they? I mean, ladders is another one. I mean, ladders, that's a real... Yeah. 
I mean, I think who who started? I mean, that's really comes from the f- Irving Penn used to put people on ladders a lot, mm. you know. Um, now we're talking about other photographers, other and uh, is, is there anyone contemporary who you think is brilliant? Oh God, there's lo- I mean, there's loads of people. Yeah. Um, and now my mind's gone. No, <laughs> completely you can't think of a single blank. one. Um, I think the whole generation of British fashion photographers from the early nineties who who broke through in the early nineties. So. David Sims, Glenn Lutchford, uh, Corinne Day, and then Mario Sorrenti, but he's American, Italian American. Uh, that all of that lot. That felt like such a heyday for yeah. magazines. Oh, um, mm. uh, there's one more from Manchester. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll come to me in a minute. So, so I always think of them. They're, they're all from all the same age. Um, Craig McDean. Okay. Um, yeah, David Sims, Glenn Lutchford, Craig McDean, Mario Sorrenti, Corinne Day, all of them. Then Elaine Constantine was another one in the 90s who was, I just thought, was, you know, what she was doing wasn't like technically groundbreaking or anything. It was just so brilliantly done. Just Why was it different? Because she had so much joy in her pictures. She, she do you know her work? Mm-hmm. All right, she's a fashion photographer, really. Um, colour, she used to use flash, very bright flash on everything. Um, and then particularly with blue skies and all the models she used were, they were like, they were, they were girls that were like teenage girls. They were girls that were like what girls are like. You know, they weren't, they were girls having fun and having a laugh. And she was brilliant at that, making her pictures absolutely full of energy. Yeah. So, so, so when you admire other photographers, it's, it's not technical by the sounds of it. Is it? So is it much it's more feeling, isn't it? Yeah. It's like music. It's like it's just like I like. I don't know why I like this song, but I like the sound like of it. this song. Yeah. You know, and I think also, um, I mean, yeah, it's really comes. It's it's very similar to music in that you know it's just it just I mean it just sounds good. You know. Do you feel like musicians are more kindred spirits for you than, say, illustrators or designers yeah. or other people? I, I love musicians. I love being around musicians. I love watching them. I love the way they can they are doing something where they're communicating in a language with other people, you know, the language of music. I love the I love the way, you know, I've been very lucky to be around some fantastic musicians and seen them do music um you know i love the way that they can communicate with each other without speaking and a nod you know move of the head a nod a look and and the other person the other musician knows what that means you know um i love the way drummers and bass players you know the nature of you know their job of what they have to do i used to love that as a as a as a verb fan as well it was my favorite thing watching those two guys watching yeah. the verb rhythm section nodding yeah. along yeah. staring each other in the eyes yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing um and i just, and i think lang the language of music is um it, i i use it all the time and, and it's how I mean, I've said this, this is a story I have said before, which, which was this conversation I had with Mark Ronson once was, we, I did a shoot with him. Actually, that was for Billboard as well. And, and, it, and I just wasn't, it didn't feel quite right. It was, there was something that we were doing. And, um, and then we just put a gel on a light 
colour gel just to change the and we had lot you know there were several lights so you're changing you're changing the relationship between one light and the other lights by putting some colour a bit of subtle colour shift on one light and the way it changed for me you know I was like that's it now it's and I said out loud to him now it sounds right that's what I said oh now it sounds right and he said what do you mean and I said oh well, don't you find that, you know, sometimes you're doing, say, uh, doing you're doing, making music and there's just something about it that's not right and, and you can't put your finger on it and then you change one thing. And then, and then he said, oh, I know what you mean. Sometimes, um, sometimes the difference between a great sounding snare drum and a terrible sounding snare drum is if you just put a piece of tissue paper on the snare drum. And that changes everything. I was like, yeah, your tissue paper is my coloured gel. You know. Yeah, absolutely. But that is, even though it's feel, it's also technical. Yeah. You have to know what to tinker with. Yeah, but also sometimes you're stumbling around and you don't necessarily it's, know what. It and, it, and you find it by accident yeah. or, you know, you have a clue. I mean, that's the, actually, though, that's the area where I feel creative. Mm. I don't feel creative before the shoot. I don't feel creative when I'm, going to the shoot the time I feel creative is when I'm doing the shoot yeah doing the pictures and I start to see a path through it's almost like a, when you start your feet are in almost like a first world war boggy trench and you're trudging and it's a real you're trudging and it's just, you know, each step is painful and slow going. And then bit by bit, you kind of work your way through it. Like hacking through a, gone out of a First World War trench and now I'm in a, now now I'm in in a jungle. You're hacking through it. And then suddenly you start to see, now I'm in a tunnel, mm -hmm. some light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> and um, well, That is a fantastically uh, mixed metaphor. You start to see a way through it. Yeah. And then I think, oh, yeah, and okay, I'll put this gel on this light. And yeah, that's it. And then we're getting there. And okay, do this, move this. That light's too low or too high. Or, you know, move that or turn it. It's too powerful. Turn it up, turn it down. And then you start to see it take shape. But I didn't go into the shoot thinking that's what I want today. That's what I want it to look like. I'm finding it really by feel. Mm. It just feels right. It's like, and then back to more metaphors, it's cooking. Oh, it just needs a bit of salt or yeah. it needs some turmeric. I totally get it. And there's some of the, some of your stories about improvisation. That, that must be a big part of it as well. So that when you, it's not what you thought it was going to be and that actually makes it fun. Yeah. Um, that I'm thinking specifically of that Kira Knightley story you tell when you'd hired a stylist who turned up on the wrong day. Yeah. And so all you had for her to wear was a was what was in the hotel room, so yeah. like a bathrobe and a towel. Bathrobe and a towel, But yeah. you'd never know. You look at yeah. those pictures and you think, well, that's clearly, that was the idea yeah. from the off. How long did that take? Was she up for that? Must have been clearly, but... Yeah, I, mean, I think she was all right with it, you know. It was just like, well, we, what are the options here? We haven't... I mean, it's where the clothes you're wearing, which was some jeans and a black top, which was... Or, like, what about... You know, I think I might have described to her, because that was 2004, so I don't know. We wouldn't have had... We wouldn't have had um, handheld um, internet devices on us in those days. Mm. So I think I might have described to her the Terry O'Neill picture of Faye Dunaway... With her Oscar. Yes. 
That picture uh, I know. Which? Well, that's a photography reference yeah. I got. Uh, so I might have said, oh, there's a great picture of Faye Dunaway. So you say to an actress, if you just reference another great actress. Yeah, trust yeah. though, isn't it? And then they go, oh yeah, I'll have a bit of Faye Dunaway. Yeah, yeah. You know. I'll have a bit of breakfast on the terrace. Um, so there's that. But, but your question about craft, uh, about, about where did you learn your craft? I mean, my kids take the, take the mickey out of me for, for, an, for another one of my sayings, which was um, wisdom is just a big collection of mistakes. And that's where the craft comes from. It just comes from doing it. It's the 10,000 hour thing. Mm. Just doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, make a mistake, get annoyed, upset. It didn't work out. What a complete waste of time today has been because of this mistake I've just discovered that I made. I think that's one of the things with uh, with my line of work is that often people, like, if, like say, for example, if you're designing a logo, um, you know, you present this or, you know, maybe present three of these simple punchy logos mm. and then you send them the bill and they'll be like but that they're just simple yeah. little logos aren't they yeah and i say but if we zoom out and you see my pasteboard of all of the ideas i've yeah. tried and failed around the edges you you see the hours that i went down this avenue trying to get this right you know that's where the hours mm. come you know those that Your, collection yeah. of you know uh, uh, simon's saying about writing writing is rewriting yeah you know, you you, yeah. you 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 start with something and then you're chipping yeah. away and then you go down an avenue, but it's the wrong avenue. Yeah. You've got to come back, you know. I mean, there's the, um, you know, it took 10 minutes, but it took 20 years to learn how to do it in 10 minutes. Exactly right, you know? yeah. And what you're paying me for, actually, is not the four hours I've done this, it took me to do this. You're paying me for, for 20 years. Learning how to 20 do it, years yeah. fuck-ups. Yeah, 20 years of, yeah, that's what you're paying for. Um because, yeah, back to the thing I said earlier about, the, you know, people saying, do you really need all this stuff? Um, people who don't, do you know, I photographed um, a year or two ago a writer called Joel Morris, who's a comedy writer. And he, it's the only time anyone has ever said this to me. So I'd, I'd never met him, but I know his wife a little bit. And she had emailed me and said, oh, Joel really needs some decent headshots. Would you mind, could you do them? And I was like, yeah, no problem. So I said, actually, I'm doing a job in a studio, you know, in a couple of weeks' time. Why don't you, why doesn't he come along to that and he can be he can be the guinea pig while we set up. Stand in. For the actual job I'm doing. And then, you, then he doesn't have to pay for the cost of the studio rental and all the other costs. And I'll just do it for like a couple of hundred quid. So he comes along. He's a writer, comedy writer. That's his craft, and he's really good at it. And I don't know how people like him do it. And he said to me, you know, at one point we, we were doing these pictures, and they were just nice, simple headshots. And then I sort of moved a couple of lights around, I put one more light up, and I t turned it on, and then said, "Okay, here you go, 1958, um, BBC Radio publicity headshot," and did this picture that looked exactly like what a late 1950s BBC radio publicity, you know. And he looked at it and he went, oh my God, how do you do that? And I went, well, because I know the ingredients that went into making a picture like that in the 50s, what, how it, how, why it looks like that. And, um, and, you know, and I kind of broke it down for him. I was like, okay, so you have a light up here. You have a light to light the top of someone's hair that they always used to do. You don't look at the camera. It's the classic, you know, you think of like young Spike Milligan 
and they always look off into the middle distance like that and smile. You know, they don't look at the camera and they go, they go, body goes one way, head goes the other way, camera's here, and they smile. And that is your classic 50s promo shot. Said all this to him. And he said, um, he said, God, it's so interesting to see someone practice their craft. You know, and it's all the things, all the invisible, all the invisible things that you do. You know, how does a great chef, I mean, I went to this place called Marouche, which is like Lebanese place in London. Sounds fancy. But they do, well, it's just all Lebanese food. And it's like, I just can't, for the life of me, work out how they make their lamb chops so incredibly delicious. You know, the fat on the lamb chops, they get this really black and crispy fat on the edge of the chops. I cook lamb chops, they just come out grey, you know, no matter what I try to do. But somehow, they know what they're doing and there's, there's magic in that. So, you know, it, there's all kinds of things, that, you know, I'll have, you know, like photographers in my sort of what I call the canon, you know, of greats. I think, oh, it feels like a, you know, feels like a... Richard Avedon day today, or <laughs> and you even say Richard Avedon. I don't know why, but he's got that really dramatic sort of. It's, well, it's just a, the master. I mean, he was style. he was really, I think, the father of modern portraiture. Really, mm. you know, of 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 everything. His his, um, I called his thing once. Just using a white background, a white background, a sheet or a piece, drop back, piece of roll of white backdrop paper. And using flat light, so north-facing light, you know, so you're you maybe put 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 up a backdrop outside uh, with the with the subject facing north, so the sun because the sun obviously goes to the south. See, so the sun's behind them. You kind of block out the sunlight, so you have the flattest light you can uh, on a white backdrop. That's like the photographic equivalent of three-chord rock and roll. Mm. Was what I called that once. That's like. That's photographic A, D, and E yeah. chords. <laughs> One you know, yeah. And anyone can do that. You know, you could, but you could have been taking pictures of, for a week, and you could do that. Put up a white sheet, and you know, and it's just so elegant in its simplicity. Yeah. It's like Helvetica. You know, it's just perfect. Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get all the. I, I mean, people. Um, I see so many so many typefaces where I'm like, what's that typeface? And someone says, is whatever it is. I'm like, oh, it just looks like Helvetica to me. It's just not quite as good. Oh, no. There's only one. <laughs> There's only one. Why have they bothered designing that when they could have just used Helvetica? Helvetica. Yeah. I don't understand what, you know. What the world needs now is another podcast from a couple of middle-aged fools. It's, a, it's an assumption of all of us that everyone else can do the same things that we can because mm. you just think, well, that's easy. Clearly, everyone can yeah. do that, can't they? And then it takes it took me a long time. I think I was quite old before I realised that that is not the case. Yeah, and a lot of people don't think like I do, and and a lot of people don't find stuff that I think is easy. They can't just can't do it. It's not even a struggle. They just can't. Yeah, and there are loads of things that other people can do that I think that's magical. How are yeah. you doing that? And I just I'm never going to be able to do yeah. it. There's a there's an aptitude, I suppose. And one of the wonderful things about the creative industries is that whether or not you're lucky enough to find the stuff that you're good at, like you've, 
you may have just fallen into it, but it's a thing that you'll you'll clearly have an aptitude for. I think about that a lot. I, I really do think about that a lot because I think about how, in my own case, how lucky I was to to my dad had a camera. He let me use it. I kept using it. I I had a headmaster. My headmaster at school was into photography, and he he was responsible for building. There was a cellar in the empty cellar basement in part of the school and he built a dark room in there and then he started giving you know they could do like photography club after school right and I, it's that thing of just a series of lucky coincidences mm. you know that particular headmaster at that school and my dad had a camera and he let me use it and then needing to impress your granddad yeah well that but that didn't come till later i think yeah. but the, but they you know, and then um, my dad being nice enough to realise that, to recognise that I was doing something that I really enjoyed. So he let me convert the garage into a dark room, you know, and we blacked out all the gaps. Under you the got doors. encouragement when you needed it. I was given you? encouragement and I wasn't belittled for bit for having this hobby. I was, in, yeah, I was encouraged. I was quite, I wasn't, no one was ever going, that's brilliant. No, that didn't happen, but I was allowed to just do it. Mm. and that whole series of things. And then when I think also about the time in which the, my age and the time in which I came to sort of came of age and started to try working age was at a time when there was a real renaissance in, it was, a, it was flourishing the British music scene and the film, British film industry was coming back again. You know, so there was, there were interesting things to photograph and interesting people to meet. And a lot of them were sort of born in the same five-year window as me. You know, and, you know, you think about all these things that, you know, and even, like, I can't believe, really, that I've been able to do this for so long because, really, without it, I'm completely unemployable. You know, and I've had, so far, touch wood, a really nice life. I've had a, I've lived the life that I... Could only have dreamt of when I was seventeen, you know. Where my days for my, you know, the last paying, the last job I had, where what that wasn't to do with photography was I worked for Yellow Pages doing tele sales, and I was twenty two. And then not, and then, and then I got a job in a studio, photographic studio, a rental studio as an assistant, and that was that Yellow Pages job was the last time I ever did anything where I earned any money that was not photographic. And um, all these, all these, like kind of you know, little lucky or moments, you know, that that have led to my days are my own. You know, there's like today. Look, you've come here. You know, I, I don't, I don't have to report to anyone else. You know, but it's also about, you know, it's a real, it's a real gift actually to be able to do something where you're paddling your own canoe, and you're happy to paddle it. You know, because as you well know, we don't. There's no sick pay. There's no holiday pay. There's, no one, to right. there's no one to cover for you. Right. You know, um, and that you know that sometimes can, and the loneliness can be sometimes you know not tiring, but sometimes it's like looking down. You realise that you're you're on a tightrope walk, in a way, don't you? Not just financially, but 
but in terms of your you know whether people are going to hire you or give you work or do they like what we're so subjected to we 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 are at the whims of um our clients yeah, totally, hundred percent. That again, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, all it takes is for someone to say, "Yeah, I just think yeah, it's a bit dated now." That guy. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's really, just a question who's of who's new. Let's get someone young. Or have you seen that other guy? Yeah, yeah. And then, then it's all over. You know, and you've got to keep all these balls in the air. But, but that's you know that's, but also you know yeah, astonishing amount of actual personal freedom. I also got just a minute ago. You know when you were saying you, when you've got okay, we've got the we've fulfilled the basic requirements a little while ago, but just a minute ago when you were talking about being freelance and the sort of freedom and the it's it's gone all right actually. That felt like ah, I think we've got it. Right. <laughs> sort of moment. Yeah. Which is yeah. nice. Yeah, that too. Yeah. That have, you, that, have you got anything else? No, it's great. This is it's perfect. Felt, it's been absolutely brilliant. You've been. You've yeah, been wonderful. Oh, thank maybe. you. Really. Actually, going back to the I think just the I think we got it because mm. that's what I say. Yeah, the yeah. end of but what I always do here's a really good tip for any young guns out there um, I'll say I think we got it to the person and um, and they go great and then but I leave everything I don't turn the lights off yeah because 45 seconds later that person will do something really amazing yeah because they're relaxed because they're relaxed yeah and it's like and then can just kind of do i'll do i'll end up you know sometimes the i the what what i do after the i think we've got it moment is that ends up being longer than what came before the i think we got it moment like quick fire what makes a good picture oh that's too hard no uh what makes a good picture do you does it do you look at it for longer than do do, do you want to look at it again or keep looking at it Mm. And do you want seconds? What makes a good meal? Do you want seconds? You know. Yeah, it's a good answer. Like I was, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how everyone's a photographer, like Instagram and mm. iPhones, iPhones, <laughs> and just how irritating that would be to me if I was you. That everyone thinks they can, because now the phones have got the grids on them. Yeah. So you can, the rule of thirds is kind of quite an accepted thing. People yeah. know about that stuff, don't they? People seem to be so much more. Uh, they think they've got the craft, is what I'm saying. Yeah, they've people got some are definitely knowledge. more visually a little literate. Bit, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Yeah. Everyone thinks they're a bloody yeah. photographer. Um, but that's not a question. It's that's not just really, an, uh, it's not annoying. It's just, it's just there's more to compete with. You know, but it feels like your world is. I suppose if your world is full of shit, then you're going to shine so much more brightly. But I don't know. I'd still begrudge the shit. Would it be harder to start now? Do you think if you were starting yeah, oh, now? Yeah. yeah. Funny enough, my daughter asked me if I would go and do a talk at her school, and I said, "But you know, I'm not going to get up there and tell anyone to be a photographer." And she's like, "What do you mean? I'm going to just get the, go up there and tell you all to go and be, you know, chemists and biologists and physicists." The world doesn't need more photographers. <laughs> uh, and, she, and she was like, "Why you're so depressing?" And I and I'm like, "But it's the truth, you know." It's like she was like, "But you've done well out of it." And I said, "Yeah, but by luck, you know." Yeah, it's like I'm when not you buy that for a you, second. Sorry, I'm not buying that for a second. Um, well, I buy the thing you said about the the opportunity yeah. and the encouragement and stuff. It reminds me of that. Have you read that book by Matthew Syed? The oh, bounce, bounce. Yeah, yeah, it's good. That. 
because uh, he's he was a I think he's a British table tennis champion or something. And it was and there were like four kids in his school who went on to be really like top class. And it was because there was a teacher at the school who was really into table tennis, and there was a club around the corner. Right. So you know that it's kind of like yeah. what you're saying about and, you, and you know, the teacher, teacher with a dark room, and, and the teacher had a key it. made for every one of the kids that was interested in table tennis. Right. Yeah. And said you can go to that shed and play table yeah. tennis. But it's exactly the hours same. A day it's like you. it's encouragement and opportunity, and yeah. if you're into it, then you, you know you get given the 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 opportunity to make. But it's speak also it. about the fact that what was once. Uh, viewed slightly as alchemy photography when i started out um you know and i working as an assistant to, to photographers who were you know in their 30s 40s 50s when i was 22 23 and you it, it, it was you'd meet the, their clients who come along and they really viewed that photographer as some sort of wizard some sort of wizard yeah and they're like oh i don't know how he does it but you know Da 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 da. Mm. It's magic, and and because it was so unknowable, because everything happened um, away from the view, away from the eyes of the client. You know, because it's chemistry, and you know, doing weird stuff with lights, and you couldn't see any of it on the day. Yeah, you know, and then a film complete. would go off to a lab, and then it would come back, and it would be like, "Oh my god, it doesn't look anything like what I thought it was going to look like," and it's amazing. Yeah, you know, and it's and so that, instant. Though, whereas isn't it? now everything is instant. Yeah. So the the mystery is, you know, dissipated. Dissipated. I suppose from it, it has a little bit. It is part of you know so many of the problems in the modern world can be put down to the iPhone, but the the fact that we've all got one in our pocket, whether or not you're into it, you've got a thing that mm. is very capable. Um. Of You've got you know, the tools. Yeah, pretty much reproducing what's in front of you. It's pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. But it's not, that's not the same as photography. No, it's not. You know, what? back to your question about what makes, what, uh, what makes a good picture is if someone wants to, for me, is if someone wants to stick it on their wall. Mm. You know, I think um, if you want to, you know, particularly working for magazines was... You know, people have said to me, "Oh, you know, I taught you. You had a picture of so and so, and I, t- I had it on my bedroom wall for four years." You know, that's like a pretty banging pretty testament cool, to um, to something you've done, and that's, I guess, yeah, it does. That is, that's pretty good. It doesn't get better than that. Yeah, so. that's pretty fucking great, isn't it? <laughs> I think we might have taken up enough of no, your. No, I've loved it. It's oh, been have you? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, great. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for being so candid and getting it and. Been just talking about yeah, it's been brilliant. It's been uh, yeah, it's yeah. been it's been fun. I didn't expect your the, the way we started when you were you were quite sort of down on your <laughs> stuff, know. which and I'm not sure you are really, but that's just the way it. Oh, it's so <laughs> so fucking relatable though. Honestly, yeah, I, a, yeah. I, I hate everything I've ever done for, yeah. for the most yeah. part. Oh, I have and, that all I, the time, and I have mopey, you know, terrifically mopey yeah. days where I can't see the point in anything. Very yeah, but until then, you also get the bit where you go, you know, actually, no, that's pretty fucking good. Actually, mm. I do know what I'm doing. Yeah, you have. You, they have to come hand in hand, don't they? You have to have the bit of the that perspective of yeah, it is all pointless, but also that's quite good. Yeah. Are we keeping the cameras rolling just in case Chris says something incredible? No, not really. Or are we packing it? Yeah, let's pack up. I'm absolutely dying for pee. Yeah. <laughs> that was our conversation uh, with Chris Floyd. Thanks so much to Chris uh, for welcoming us into his beautiful home yeah um, it was lovely wasn't it really nice very very warm welcome and massive picture of the verve 
uh, in, his, <laughs> yeah. in, in his kitchen, uh, just looking like quite a lot of massive stuff. pictures generally all yeah, over his house. Uh, understandably, that's lovely. Um, and he was he felt like a kindred spirit, and in the you know slightly depressive, but um, really into it and geeky about it. <laughs> slightly depressive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but I think uh, there's a lot of us like that. Oh, you're so right. You're so right. Uh, they all... It is fucking February, isn't it? Yeah. Christ. Fuck's sake. Fuck's sake. Fucking February. It was January when we spoke to Christmas. I felt it was only just after Christmas when we went there, so it was. It felt like it was still in the. Yeah, I feel like there's still a no- in that period where you say Happy New Year to people. That's right. It feels like there's a novelty to early January. Yeah. And then by the end of January, you start off February. It's like oh, fuck's sake. Yeah, exactly. When is this bullshit over? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you feel very creative at the moment? No. Don't like this time of year. I feel like I just feel terrible about everything I'm doing. Mm. Awful, isn't it? it? Yeah, it's just it's it's just every year you just got to get through it. I'm considering things have got so bad for me that I'm considering a social media break because all of the creative work I'm seeing on social media is making me feel so terrible about my own output. Okay, I'm there, Simon. I'm that's the that's that's. Well, where I, I did do a social media break for. Uh, January. How'd I didn't look at socials at all. I didn't really miss it very much. Didn't you? No. What did you do instead? Well, I probably sp- I read The Guardian a lot more. Did you? Yeah, I didn't spend much less time on my phone. I was just not doom scrolling. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You could, I mean, most of The Guardian you could qualify as that at the moment, couldn't you? Doom scrolling. Sure, there's not an awful lot of positivity <laughs> in it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I need to say a quick thank you to uh, my pal Martin Jones, who is also... Um, a professional photographer uh, who's a big fan of uh, Chris Floyd's and pointed me towards some excellent resources uh, mm. for, for what I that laughingly was, refer to as research. That was great, wasn't it? When um, you mentioned it to him and he said, what, really? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Why is he talking to you? Yeah. <laughs> You're clearly an idiot. <laughs> Entirely accurate. <laughs> anyway, um, while we're talking about social media, that feels like a segue. Oh, actual segue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, at Chris Floyd is where you'll find Chris on Instagram and I thoroughly recommend it his Instagram is a, is a joy it's full of the kind of excellent creativity that is making Smithers depressed yeah it's completely <laughs> true make me feel jealous and generally awful about myself yeah all these great stories are on there attached to those pictures and stuff it's well worth looking at and his website is unconfusingly at chrisfloyd.com uh, yeah thanks so much to Chris thanks again um, and uh, we will see you next time for another conversation with another creative.